Pop Health Week on Healthcare Now Radio. I'm your co-host and executive producer, Greg Masters, the managing director of Health Innovation Media. Joining me in our state-of-the-art virtual studio is the co-founder and principal co-host of Pop Health Week, Fred Goldstein, who also serves as president of Accountable Health, LLC. We designed Pop Health Week as a conversational platform where industry leaders and stakeholders from various sectors, such as payers, providers, patient vendors, and regulatory communities, can converge to share best practices and strategies in population health. To connect with us, visit www.popupstudio.productions or follow and direct message me on Twitter via at Greg Masters MPH. And remember that is Greg with a double G. Or Fred Goldstein on Twitter via at FS Goldstein or www.accountablehealthllc.com. On today's episode, we have the pleasure of hosting Caitlin Donovan, Global Head of Uber Health, Rick Leach, JD, a renowned expert in food security and public health, founder and former CEO of the World Food Program USA, and current chairman of the Food as Medicine Board at Avisis LLC, and Benny DeCheca, CEO and President of the Validation Institute. Our discussion will revolve around the first certification and validation initiative for food as medicine programs. This initiative empowers individuals and organizations with effective tools and proven data to facilitate informed decision-making, promoting better health, active lifestyles, and positive outcomes. You can follow their work on the web via www.foodmedcertified.com and www.validationinstitute.com, respectively. And now, without further ado, I hand over the reins to Fred, so take it away. Thanks so much, Greg and Benny, Caitlin, and Rick. Welcome to Pop Health Week. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much for having us. It's a pleasure. Yeah, it's great to get the three of you on. We're going to talk about some exciting news here, I believe. So why don't we turn it over to you, Benny, first. Tell us a little bit about the Validation Institute and the new stuff you're doing. Thanks, Fred. Um, at the Validation Institute, we vet and validate the performance claims that companies are making about their products and services in the healthcare space, specifically around savings and outcomes. So what we really want to do is help the buyer be able to cut through all the noise and get to the right folks that are doing the great things out there, and we want to shine a light on those companies and get them noticed by those employers. Whether it's MSK companies, PBMs, etc., uh, that's what we do at the Validation Institute. But what we're very excited to announce today is that we have launched Food Med Certified. And what Food Med Certified is, is we want to do the same thing in the food as medicine space. We want to find the products, the companies that are doing great things out there, and once again, shine a light on them. We want to find those amazing folks. And the reason we're doing this is a few months ago, the federal government announced it would start approving state requests to use Medicaid to pay for groceries and nutritional counseling as a policy, um, make, as policymakers explore whether food as medicine programs can lead to broader health benefits and trim costs. And so these factors led to many companies just coming out and standing up and saying, we're now food as medicine. And so we just don't really buy that. We started listening to the claims, we started listening to the ROI cases, and we really started to see that they're unfounded. So this created an issue for credible growth and development of this space. So our intent is to go out and shape the industry in a highly credible, in a high-integrity way. 
And so that's why we're out there now starting to certify these programs. Makes a lot of sense that when you think about it and the whole issue with food and all of the different claims you do see all over the internet and on TV, et cetera, about what you should or should not be eating and what's healthy and is not healthy. Now, Caitlin, you're with Uber Health. Yes. And so you've decided as one of the founding members, I believe, of this organization to join. Why and what is it that you're doing? You know, I think Benny said it so well where the hypothesis that food drives our health outcomes, I think we all know, have heard, believe it to be true. But it's a bit of the Wild West right now because the industry is so nascent. And to make sure that we're driving the right outcome, it's so important to have those outcomes validated to distill um, the, the, the real players that have repeatable outcomes from those that are taking advantage of um, the movement in the industry. When we thought about joining, we thought it was really important to address the food issues across the, uh, across the ecosystem. So joined in partnership with three other companies, one that represented the insurance companies of Visas, you know, to, to Benny's point, these benefits exist. They're administered today. We want to make sure they're administered well with the right companies. Two is with the incumbent in the space, Mom's Meals, that has a very well-established food as medicine program, particularly in the post-acute space, but also across other conditions. And three with Albertsons, who's entered into this space with Sincerely Health and obviously has grocery stores um, that, that affect 66 million households. And where Uber Health fits in is we can connect the benefit structure to the um, uh, to those players in our marketplace and allow that physical access that connects the ecosystem together. So felt we couldn't not participate given given our role in this ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And before we get to you, Rick, one question, Benny. This is also looking at, so a lot of this has to do with there are programs that claim they deliver healthy foods or that they're helping people get to foods and access foods, but it might not necessarily be that what they've got from a food perspective is good as well, right? So you're looking at that too. Right. So we aim to advance programs that address diseases such as diabetes, heart disease, and ensure that the medicine, um, the food is medicine programs prevent the progression of chronic conditions like kidney disease. Mm -hmm. um, but... We're also aiming to address the never-ending issue of not just food security, but nutritional security. We want to see those medically tailored meals, those pre-packaged meal programs, groceries being delivered, that they're driving healthy and nutritious food into underserved communities. So this is not just a focus on one part of the problem. It really is to focus across the entire spectrum. Fantastic. And Rick, how about give us a little bit of your background, and then I know you're one of the advisors to the organization as well, and talk about that. Sure. Uh, my background has primarily been in the public sector for the last number of decades, working in uh, food security, public health, involved with the United Nations World Food Program for over a decade, worked in the Congress Select Committee on Hunger, I worked with the World Health Organization, UNICEF, a number of other organizations. And the reason I'm part of an, an advisor to the Validation Institute and other efforts in this space is this is a moment, I think, when this country, when the world is looking at the role of food and nutrition in a more expansive way than we have before. It used to be, you know, how do we increase calories? Now it's not just calories, it's not just what's a cup of food, but what's in the cup. And so I think, you know, to quote my friend, three points I want to make. One is 
the relationship between food and nutrition and health seems to be somewhat obvious. Um, there have been studies and numerous studies talking about the impact of food and nutrition on chronic disease. We saw during the, the COVID pandemic, the vast majority of people who died had comorbidities. Uh, we know that well over 40% of American adults are obese. There's a direct relationship between chronic disease and food and nutrition. I think the challenge for the world, for this country right now, is how to bridge that knowledge and sustainable change. So that's knowledge, need for the bridge, and there are so many efforts now underway to try and achieve that goal. And that really brings me to the second point, which is the moment. This is a moment, Benny mentioned the Medicaid waivers that are now being offered up, and there's more um, that are being considered right now. NIH is stepping up a whole effort around nutrition and ways to really think more deeply about it, to produce more data, more research around the impact of nutrition. Uh, and as was mentioned, a number of companies now getting involved in this space. So knowledge, the moment. Then the third point is it's complex. You know, as Benny mentioned, you can't it's very difficult to draw a direct line between one specific action and, okay, this will have an impact on chronic disease. So this is a doable challenge, but it is a challenge, is how do all these varying pieces fit together to create and get to goal, which is changing behaviors, impacting health through dietary and nutrition interventions. Yeah, it's fascinating you bring that up because when you're looking at measuring outcomes of population health programs, you're always trying to figure out, well, who really gets credit for the impact? You know, which piece of that did it? And you start to begin to tease that out through various studies. So as you look at that, maybe Benny, Rick, how have you sort of decided, have you begun to look at what some of these measures or outcomes might be that you're looking at? We have. Um, and the interesting part in speaking to the challenge that Rick was uh, just mentioning when you get to the side of the actual food provider, medically tailored meals, however, they don't have the clinical outcomes, right? Um, especially these newer startups that are out there. Just met with one earlier. And my question was, where's the claims data to show that, you know, this particular condition didn't advance? And they looked at it and said, where am I supposed to get that? Because they're food companies, right? They don't, they don't operate in that space. They don't understand that that is um, what they're going to need to prove some of these outcomes with us. Um, so have we fully defined it? No, but we're here to help them bridge that gap. And that's what we're looking to, where we're looking to start, for them to understand the data that they're going to need in order for us to see that. Um, so just, I'm Let me just, I just have to throw in. a <laughs> salute to Benny and Validation Institute, because when I first started talking about it, I'm like, hey, this is a challenge. <laughs> and you cannot start by saying, we know the answer and we're going right. to figure it out. Mm -hmm. But there was a, a level of humility to say, we're going to start on a journey here and figure it out. But we are going to figure it out. And I think this is a huge challenge. We will surmount this challenge. But it's a challenge because that link between you know, nutrition and, and output in terms of changes in uh, chronic disease, preventing chronic disease, can you say it was just that, you know, that meal that was served? Well, what was, you know, how did you, was sustainable change is going to require more than providing a meal. And how, as you were discussing on the panel, how do the behavior change mechanisms work? 
You know, so there are so many different pieces. And what about the big question about access and affordability? And there are so many different elements. It's just pieces of a challenge. It doesn't say it's an insurmountable challenge, but this is a serious, enjoyable, worthwhile challenge. I think that's what's so wonderful about the flexibility of the Validation Institute and this specific problem. Um, to, to Rick's point, there are so many potential issues around food. One is just access to nutrition. Two is education around nutrition. And three is actually ingesting and, and driving that behavior change. And having the Validation Institute help guide companies depending on the specific problem they want to solve around what data do you need to connect, where do you find claims data to Benny's example, coupled with the measurement that they can then repeat those outcomes, which will look very different depending on the combination of problems they're trying to solve, I think is the power of um, the Food Med Certified Program. Yeah, I think, you know, as I've thought about it from a population health perspective and said to myself, it used to be that everybody just measured process measures. So, yeah, and it'll be nice to see that 20% of the people got healthy foods, but now because of access, et cetera, transportation, we've solved it, now got 80% of the people getting healthy foods or, or maybe solving for not being able to get food at all. Mm -hmm. And then to then be able to say, well, what's the next step? Did that create reductions in blood pressure or, mm -hmm. or diabetes rates or or cholesterol levels or things like that, when ultimately, hopefully, we can get there and begin to trace that whole thing back to develop those type of measures. And I saw that when the Validation Institute worked on the other things. You know, you had those multiple levels of validation yep. from contract on up, and the higher levels obviously had to do with outcomes and costs and savings like that. The higher, the higher levels now are running trials. So mm -hmm. that's something that we're requiring for them to get to that highest level of validation. And when you start to look at that in this space, that, that doesn't exist. It doesn't exist today. And to Rick's point, we haven't figured it all out. It is a journey. Um, and, and to try to get those companies to see those types of trials and how they're go we're going to need a lot of partners to come on board and help that out from academic institutions to more founding members. Uh, but there's a lot of different folks that are going to have to get involved, and we want the help. For those just tuning in, we are in the company of Caitlin Donovan, Global Head, Uber Health, Rick Leach, JD, an expert in food security and public health, and Benny DeCheca, CEO and President, Validation Institute. Stay tuned for more insightful conversation. And I know that, that, Caitlin, you mentioned some of the other major partners on this. Who else is on the advisory board along with Rick? Dari Mozafarian, who's the Dean of Policy at the Tufts Friedman School of Nutrition, uh, has joined us. Uh, Joanne Manson uh, from Harvard, uh, she's a professor there, and she's also the Chief uh, of Preventative Medicine for uh, Brigham and Women's Hospital. Uh, Dexter Sherney, uh, who is the President of Blue Zones Wellbeing Institute. Um, and Will Brun, who's the co-founder of the Global Appropriateness Measures uh, and advisor at Johns Hopkins. Uh, we also have the Chief Medical Officer from Weight Watchers, uh, Gary Foster, uh, who is uh, also the founder uh, of the Obesity uh, Research Center at Temple. Um, and Holly Freestat, who is the uh, Director of Feeding Change at Milken Institute. And we also have Dr. James Gillespie, uh, who's the Chief Health Officer of Emoja Supply Chain and a Senior Advisor at Stanford. So there's a lot of, a lot of doctors that we've brought on board, 
Uh, we've got a great panel. These are the most amazing names uh, in this space that have joined on board. Yeah, it's quite a bit of expertise you've got there to really help advise the groups. So that's fantastic. And do you see are these going to be meeting like a quarterly thing, or how's that going to work for the advisors? So the advisors do meet quarterly, but they're 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 there on hand. Uh, as these companies come on board and we're going to need help, they have said they'll roll up their sleeves and help us wherever possible. Uh, so uh, we've leaned on, as you know, uh, our advisors from Validation Institute quite a bit. Uh, so that's what we're looking forward to uh, bringing on this group and uh, some more folks as well. And Rick, you've sort of worked on these major projects, it sounds like. So. Is this sort of the next step we need to get to for helping this whole issue we're facing in the country around food and getting access to food by setting up something like this? Do you think that'll push that industry forward? I do. I do. I mean, because in some respects what we're talking about is how do we integrate health systems and food systems? You know, how do we bring together, in essence, a community of different players to achieve a common goal? And this is the new challenge. As I said, you know, and Dari, the other expert, did a presentation yesterday saying, hey, over the last number of decades, our goal was to increase food availability, increase calories that were available. Well, now we need to look at it a bit differently. It's not just calories. It's what are we eating? How are we even cooking it? When are we eating it? And how is it ingrained in society? So to answer your question, think about population health. Yes, this is the next huge, significant challenge I mean, when you look at the indicators and the number of people suffering from chronic disease in this country, we have no alternative but to step up and address it. We know what to do. It's just a matter of putting the pieces together, bringing the communities together, and implementing the change. Mm -hmm. It's not just. This is a significant <laughs> right. challenge. It's a big one. But we can do this. You know, mm -hmm. this is not beyond our capacity. I think the level of commitment that I've seen, that others have seen, across the board that being successful, um, I think, is the pathway forward. We will be successful, but it's, you know, we don't have all the answers today. We just know the direction and not the commitment to actually get there. Mm -hmm. One, I just want to play up one thing that Rick said, that earlier today someone sat down with me and said, we need culinary experts, and I'm like, we're not creating chefs, why do we need culinary experts? And the, they really made a good point, that younger generation today, they're used to going out and eating. They don't know how to cook. And in underserved communities, don't know how to cook. And that is a very important skill that needs to be advanced um, clear across the board that they we, we need to teach people how to cook again. Mm -hmm. And you raise an interesting point and sort of touched on a little bit um, back when we were doing our chronic care management programs in Medicaid and used community-based workers and promotora, et cetera, going out in the communities, we recognized the importance for having people who understood culturally appropriate foods that would fit in the diet that this person in this culture is eating versus the diet that another person might be eating. Mm -hmm. and, and so I would assume that's something ultimately you'll look at as well. Yes, most definitely. have to, yeah. you know, because it's not one size fits all. But, you know, it's interesting. One of the things that we were looking at at one point was what is the what would optimal nutrition be for optimal mitochondrial function? So even thinking about the impact of nutrition at the cellular level. And we found that, as I was saying, yes, what you eat, how you cook it, how you season it, when you eat it, genetic background, they all are relevant. But I think to your point, it's critical that this be culturally attuned um, because we will not be successful if we don't respect 
the diversity of the population that we have. Yeah. And I know you want to add to that. I was going to say, I, I do think that's one of the reasons that there are so many entrants to this space is because food is very individualistic. It's very community-based. It is very hard to scale a program. And that's why there's even more need for the Validation Institute to say this local program can reproduce results, this one cannot, and think about how you maintain that very critical piece of individually appropriate, culturally appropriate, works for the community, while also having a solution that scales given the intensity of need. Mm -hmm. So this is going to throw a little hot potato into this one, <laughs> but not to, not, and not to point fingers at any food organizations or things like that, or food manufacturers or, or sellers, but we know there are major issues with some of the things we consume today. Do you see ultimately that this might be able to cause enough of a shift to change some of those organizations from what they serve today as a possibility? I'll take the opportunity. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I'll hand it off. Hey, we were just listening to a panel talk about consumer behavior. I mean, if people want something or don't want something, that'll impact it. And I think part of our challenge, which we will be successful in, is changing behavior, which causes people to want or not want something. I mean, think about what we did in this country around smoking. I mean, that's a success. Yes, people still smoke, but rates are a lot lower than they were. And everyone has embraced it's not acceptable to smoke inside. And this. So that is one small example of the evolution that I think will occur. Handing the hot potato. I think it's hard to know the impact of the full journey we're on. I also think it's really important anytime there's a journey, anytime there's a journey in um, trying to change an ecosystem for the better, to start with what you can control and what you can impact. And here, um, you know, as, as Benny said at the beginning, there's now a lot of Medicaid waivers for for grocery programs, a lot of Medicare Advantage plans that offer this as a supplemental benefit. That feels like a very reasonable, controllable place to start um, uh, before there might be downstream consequences that affect consumer behavior across the board. Mm -hmm. Let me just throw one thing, and then over to you, Benny, and that is a mom, a pregnant woman. They want good health for their children. Absolutely. I mean, that's the reality. And so if it's like, wow, that is really destructive or that's very helpful, if there is information brought through the appropriate means to people, they will take action to increase the health of their family. No one wants to provide a child bad food that will increase their capacity, you know, potential to be obese or otherwise. So... People care, and we mm -hmm. just that's on us, though, to help ensure that information is delivered in the right means. Over to you, Benny. <laughs> <laughs> My answer is going to be simple. We're going to change where change is possible and where change wants to happen, right? I don't, I don't think companies are going to abandon uh, their strategy completely. I just I, mm -hmm. I don't see that, right? I do feel, though, that we can make an impact, and where we can make an impact with people that are on bad paths or catastrophic outcome paths, we're going to be able to change that behavior, and that's going to make a significant impact both in the healthcare system and just in the communities overall. And I think one of the important things to this whole behavior change issue is by, by having the ability to run food through the health program and cover it, 
you suddenly allow an individual to be able to make decisions who may not have been able to buy things because the cheaper food was the less healthy food, mm -hmm. and now they can get that covered, obviously, and bring that in, which which hopefully will help to help individuals who before probably couldn't make some of those decisions to buy some of those things or didn't have access to those types of foods in their community, whether it was you know no supermarket, no fresh fruits and vegetables or whatever. Um, now through these different methodologies, we can solve those problems. So I think it's going to be fascinating to watch over the next couple of years and see how we go with this. It's um, it's a, it's as you said, it's a huge undertaking, really, but it's a critical one for this country because we know how much it drives chronic illness, etc. Where do you are you beginning to see any companies say, "Hey, we're ready to come in. We want to get ourselves validated." I mean, you just announced this thing, so obviously it's pretty dang early. I, I will tell you, we announced yesterday uh, at this Think event, uh, and I had a lot of companies coming over to me and starting to say, "Well, I'm starting to look at this, and how do I how do I take advantage of it?" And it's everything you said. It. How do we get it into employers to adopt, being able to use money towards? Uh, buying healthy foods and so you've got companies now trying to think of how are they going to pay for that how are they going to uh, so that discussion has started occurring which I'm very excited about because I do think it's going to start with the employers getting involved um, the, but the other side is we've had quite a few companies raise their hand now and say hey we want to get certified and that really excites us um, and we'll see where those discussions go like I said there is a very big challenge uh, at the very beginning to get all that data uh, that they're going to need, but we're excited to work with them mm -hmm. and find those right companies and bring them out there. And you've talked about, obviously, this is going to be a learning process as you develop these metrics, yeah. et cetera, go with it. Are you ready today? I mean, can people apply mm -hmm. today? And we if have, so, where would they go? We have, uh, well, first of all, they can go to our site, which is foodmedcertified.com, and they can fill out the form there. Uh, they can call me. I won't give out my phone number, though, right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, but really what we're, what, um, what we're striving for uh, initially is to look at those areas that reduce medication, create adherence to medication, or eliminate medication, or the advancement of chronic uh, of disease, right, and preventative medicine. That's, that's really where we're starting right now. That's where we're hearing from these companies, and we hope to hear from all of them. Mm -hmm. Well, fantastic. Any final words any of you like to say? We're just so excited to uh, so excited to have announced this yesterday. I think it's going to make a big impact in the way benefits are administered, the outcomes those benefits can drive, and accessibility of, of food and nutrition. And I'll, I'll just say that um, we as a nation have successfully addressed significant challenges. We have, that's our history, it's what we do. This is a significant challenge that has been put before us all we have the tools, we have the knowledge, and we'll, we will achieve success. Mm -hmm. Well, fantastic. I'd like to thank the three of you for coming on. Having seen the growth of the Validation Institute over the past couple of years and how many companies are now coming through and making a difference because they're showing and proving to purchasers that they've got the right approach, I can see the same thing happening with this. So really excited about it, Benny, Caitlin, and Rick, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks thank so much you, for having Greg. us. And back to you, Greg. And there you have it, folks. That is the final word on today's broadcast. I extend my heartfelt thanks to our esteemed guests, Caitlin Donovan, Global Head, Uber Health, Rick Leach, JD, an expert in food security and public health, and former CEO, World Food Program USA, and current chairman of the Food of Medicine Board at Avisis LLC, and 
Benny DeCecca, CEO and President, Validation Institute, for their valuable insights today. You follow their work on the web via www.foodmedcertified.com and www.validationinstitute.com, respectively. If you find our work at Pop Health Week engaging, please show your support by liking the show on your preferred podcast platform, share it with your colleagues, and subscribe to stay updated with new episodes as they're posted. We stream live on Healthcare Now Radio weekdays, 5.30 a.m., 1.30 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern. And for our friends on the West Coast, that's 2.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 6.30 p.m. Pacific. From Pop Health Week, my co-host Fred Goldstein and myself, Greg Masters, we urge you all to stay safe and until next time, farewell. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.